have more of the things in our daily life be things that we have a connection to, be things that our hands actually help to build or that came from the environment right around us. So we feel empowered and we remember ourselves as part of a greater whole and know that we have the capacity to tend to more of our needs so that people have choice, so that people don't feel trapped in a system that doesn't work for them and leaves them feeling unfulfilled. You've been hearing Wania Tebow of the Ancestral Skills School called Buckskin Revolution. This is Aaron Moskowitz, and you are listening to episode 72 of the Get In My Garden podcast. Wania was runner-up on the Survivalist show alone, season six, where she survived two and a half months in the far northern region of Canada. Today, she shares her ideas for how to foster the right mindset and have a high chance of surviving in any environmental conditions, and some simple practices we can all use to open our senses to our environment and connect with our landscape, wherever we are located. Then, Wania talks about her experiences teaching people about ancestral skills and all the awesome programs she has created through her business, Buckskin Revolution. You can follow her work and learn more about her by searching Buckskin Revolution on social media and online. You can follow this podcast at Get In My Garden on Instagram and subscribe to the show wherever you listen from if you'd like to receive new episodes. Also, please leave positive reviews if you want to support the show directly. Next up, we will have more natural farming stories and learning from Elton Ray James and Kyle Perry. You're doing some amazing stuff. And I got really excited when I saw that you're an entomologist and biologist and all this cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of folks these days focus on my, you know, like survival stuff and not what I feel like is just as important, which is my background in like permaculture and subsistence farming and off-grid living and like the things that I actually do in a more daily life way than like these extreme survival adventures. So yeah, it was an awesome, it was a nice, nice invite to get. I've been getting a lot of random ones and not, not doing all of them, but this one was like, oh yeah. Well, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Of course, your claim to fame at the moment is that show, but I think that that's just one thing. I think the future, you don't know what your next claim to fame will be. Maybe <laughs> right. it will be. <laughs> So I was very blown away by your experience and, like I said, your connection with Mother Earth. But I, I, I want to know how other people can kind of become more connected, you know? And you could, of course, talk about whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part of the focus for me these days in my teaching because, you know, I think there are a lot of people out there who are teaching, you know, survival skills, but so many people are approaching it from a really different approach. And from one that's more, you know, combative and like we have to get out there and like survive the evils that are out to get us. And to me, right off the bat, you're just setting yourself up for a much more grueling experience. One of the classes that I'm most excited to teach these days is called Connection is a Survival Skill. And the degree to which, you know, the mindset that we carry out there, it's more important than the physical skills we have. Because when we are approaching, you know, a potentially difficult situation from a place of fear and panic, then we automatically lose a big part of our brain capacity. And so it doesn't even matter how big a skill set we have because we might not have those skills available to us. We're in adrenaline fight or flight mode and we lose so much from that place. So if we can be in a place where we feel calm and centered and grounded from the outset and where we're looking for the blessings instead of what's out to get us and find a way to love our experience and find the gifts and the challenge, that's going to make a huge difference. And that's very much what I tried to exemplify out on a loan 
But yeah, you know, I went out with a lot of intention and these days I'm so busy with a lot of the stuff I'm trying to launch that I'm not bringing the same intention to my life as I was to this like extreme survival experience. So this is a really good reminder for me too. You know, having routines in place that are a reminder of connection, I think are really, really critical. One quote that I really love from some teachers of mine is when things are hard, we're going to fall back to our best practices, not our best ideals. So if you don't have something set up in your daily life and you're not in the regular habit of looking for the gifts in your challenges or looking for connection or having a gratitude practice or an offering practice, you're much less likely to have that when you're under stress. And that's the time that you really need it. That is so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I really like to start the day with a morning practice of just kind of dropping in. I really recommend a sit spot practice, getting out somewhere wild or somewhere that you have capacity to check in and drop in with the greater world around you. And whether that be, you know, that you live in an apartment in New York City, and that just means sitting next to a window and watching the clouds or looking for a stray pigeon, you know, or whether you live somewhere where you have access to get out into a more wild space. But just taking a moment to start your day from a place of calm and from a place of opening your senses to what's around you, rather than getting caught up in the squirrel cage of your to-do list and, you know, all of the pressures that you have. Because that start of your day is going to really hold the energy, you know, for your whole day and giving yourself whatever it might be, you know, even if it's just the couple minutes while you're brushing your teeth to like Mm -hmm. set a good intention, that's huge. And that can really change your day. And every day that you change changes your life as well. So well, I, I think that on the show, so many people went in there with tactical experience and they had military backgrounds and they were the first to fall, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So the people who made it so long really had a good mentality and connection. Absolutely. And I think that the real difference between the more military survival training and strategy is most folks in the military, you're in a survival situation going into it as something that a problem has happened. And you're just trying to survive until you can get rescued, which is entirely different than like going out into the woods because you love being in the woods and because you're after the experience of it. You actually want to be there. That's a huge Mm -hmm. difference. And I think that myself and Jordan and Nathan, who, you know, were the last three people out, all of us are people who spend a lot of time in the wild because that's something that we choose. I think that it, it came through as a huge difference for sure. No kidding. Yeah. So I like the idea of, you know, morning ritual for people who are in the city, no matter where they are. And I did see a video where you were talking about you grew up in an area. At one point, you were living in a gated community, but even there, you were able to connect. And so how do regular people connect more? I mean, beyond a morning routine, maybe? Is there, do you have suggestions? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I have heaps of suggestions. So yeah, for me, one practice that I find really powerful is it's great to learn everything that you can about the ecology in the area. But I think two really wonderful gateways are plants and birds Mm. because they're pretty ubiquitous. You know, wherever you are, even in the city, there are a lot of different birds. And, you know, the human ear is actually tuned to the frequency of bird song. So we have this innate ability to really key into to what the birds are saying and starting to pay attention to that and having some part of your awareness in that field is going to have you connected to something outside yourself in a more regular way. And it's one of the key things that we can kind of know what's happening in the landscape 
without giving it our full attention. So if I hear, you know, a sudden intense cawing, then I know that there's something going on in the, in the avian world. Another thing is, again, plants, because, you know, plants are everywhere. And I really love the practice of getting to know some medicinal plants in your area and doing what you can to take in some wild food as often as possible, you know, ideally every day, but maybe every week or once a month or what is it? Because, you know, the old adage that we are what we eat is really true. Like if you're taking in something from a wild place and rebuilding your own cells, you know, and the structure of your body comes Mm -hmm. from that thing, like what deeper connection can you have? And I think that when we make a practice of some of these physical practices, that they spill over into our consciousness and they help us feel more part of the world around us and more connected. That's just kind of on the more woo-woo level of feeling more connected. No, I totally believe that. I really do. (laughs) That's just an affirmation of connection. So I really like that. And most wild foods are healthier for us than foods we can buy in the store anyway. So it's also a health benefit. I think some people might struggle to find something edible in their environment depending on where they are. But I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast and people following your work will surely find something. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, wherever you are, if there's, you know, a vacant lot, I mean, obviously you want to be aware of pollution in some areas, it's going to be harder to find things. But, you know, dandelions are one of the most ubiquitous weeds and it's a great edible. It's got a medicinal and edible root. You can make a roasted dandelion coffee as a coffee substitute. You can eat the greens. Um, A lot of the really, really common weeds in neglected areas are edibles and medicinals. So Mm -hmm. wherever you are, you might have more access than you think. That's awesome. And I guess I'm kind of curious about after after you came back from your experience, everybody was in it to win it, I think. But still, you had kind of another mission to show that anybody can survive it seemed like, and also you were talking about women and the power of women and their connection to the earth. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. Yeah, happily. Um, yeah. And I will say that, sure, it would, have been, it would have been great to win. But yeah, it's definitely true that that wasn't my main goal. To me, I knew that the better I did out there, the more I proved my point that coming from a place of connection and reciprocity is a really valid survival strategy. So in that, I was attached to doing well. But mostly, I just wanted to be out there as long as I possibly could because it was amazing and I was loving it. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, definitely in terms of speaking to women and these things, you know, I think that a lot of people have this attitude that women are less interested in outdoor pursuits. And I think a lot of that is because young girls aren't taken out into the woods as often as young boys are. You know, it's super common for younger boys to go fishing or hunting, and it's a lot less common for folks to take girls out. And so I just really encourage parents to raise their daughters with the idea that the outdoors and, you know, all of these skills, hunting, fishing, camping, you know, bushcraft, construction, all of these things are just as available to women as men or any gender, honestly. Like I want to recognize folks who aren't on the binary gender spectrum as well. But particularly in terms of, you know, some of the things I was talking about there was women's physiology is really geared towards long-term survival because we carry the seed of the species, right? If you Mm -hmm. have, you know, if we had apocalypse and 40 people survived and 39 of them were women and one of them was a man, well, the species would carry on because you could have 39 babies, you know, depending on the fertility and circumstances and such. But if, it, if you had one woman and 39 men, that's one baby that carries right. on to the next generation, right? So 
evolution has favored women to be better able to deal in situations of adversity. We tend to have slower metabolisms. We tend to be really good at multitasking instead of, uh, you know, more singular focuses. And, you know, and we tend to be really good to tending to community, right? Because we, yeah. we, are, we evolved to care for children and babies. So that means that we have all of these really strong capacities for surviving in difficult situations. And often that's not recognized in women. You know, they're viewed sometimes as the weaker sex or what have you. And I just think that that is, that's a distortion of reality through the sure. history of, you know, patriarchy around the globe. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for women to, instead of saying, oh, we're going to all, you know, we're all the same, like, we're all just humans. I'm like, well, no, women have superpowers that we should focus on because I really do believe that. And uh, like you said, physiologically, that there are differences. I mean, I grew up with a sister and a mom, and they both had a different, their focus level is very different. Like they can focus on the environment in a different way than a man. I feel that. So um, that's all valuable. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's it's super individual and it's a, and it's a spectrum and I don't want to, you know, I'm not someone who believes in black and white or hard lines or limited people based on their genetics. And at the same time, exactly as you say, it's silly to assume that we're supposed to be exactly equal. We are demonstrably not. Our bodies are built really differently and there are mm-hmm. gifts in both. So, I, you know, I don't consider that it's like a women are better at this than men, or it's just that women have particular strengths and men have particular strengths. And people who have more of a, a balance among the gender spectrum have particular strengths too. Like we all have things that make us unique and powerful. And let's recognize that rather than try to set us up along a hierarchy. Yeah. And so with your business, Buckskin Revolution, I was wondering kind of if you in, you know, you're in Northern California and Oregon and do you run into a lot of, you know, vegan type people? And if they (laughs) if there's like a clash that happens between your ancestral skills and their uh, belief system? For sure. Yeah, I think that that has happened. That does happen. And I think that I am better equipped often to have those conversations because I was vegetarian and vegan at one time in my life. And, you know, I I grew up totally anti-hunt. And I still am not psyched about the commercial meat industry. I mean, I'm not. I don't support the commercial meat industry. I think that it's far more damaging to animals than hunting is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I think that a lot of people who are adamantly vegetarian or vegan want to put all meat eaters in a particular box. And I think that I don't fit that box to the same degree. That said, sure, I get nasty messages when I talk about animal processing, but I also bring a lot of heart and intention and respect and reciprocity to my work with animals. And I feel like that's pretty apparent and verbalized in most of the things that I do. And so in that way, I think that I receive less than that than a lot of people who are advocating for hunting gotcha. and meat eating. And in fact, I just, I'm in the process now of putting on an online skills gathering and I've had three different versions of it, a one week, a five week and a 10 week. And the 10 week one is ongoing, but one of the classes is animal themes. And I talk to people about roadkill and how to assess if an animal that you find on the road is safe to eat or not. And then take people through the process of cutting that up. And also I process chickens, you know, I slaughter and butcher chickens in that course. And I had people who thought they were going to be really, really disturbed by that and have a really hard time watching it say that they actually found it, you know, they were able to engage with it a lot more than they expected to, partly because of the approach and the intention and the respect. And so to me, that's, that's where all of these skills start and come from. And that makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Well, I think most people who eat meat, they've never faced the reality of it. 
And so it's really easy to keep that at bay until you actually are handling it yourself. And I think it's important that people do that. Absolutely. Agreed. Well, do you want to talk about anything else that you're working on? Like, I know that after that show, uh, well, during the show, actually, there was a point where you were talking about your history, you were a sustenance farmer, and or sorry, subsistence farmer. Similar, uh, similar thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you told me that you were involved in the farmer's markets a little bit. That's a different lifestyle. And now you have more publicity, obviously. So that's helped you. And maybe you're much busier. But where are you, what are you working on now and where are you going? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, these days I well, I'm still looking for a more permanent home base. Honestly, I was in the I had a huge teaching schedule um, planned for coronavirus and was going to be traveling and teaching. And so, oh. um, you know, all that stuff got canceled. And so I didn't have a place set up to live. So that is one of the things is trying to figure out where to be in a more permanent way. I for many years lived off grid on a homestead in Oregon, and I'm still connected to that place. It's still a place that I spend time and part of the year. And to me, I don't see the subsistence farming and the ancestral skills as, as different focuses at all. Okay. I, I see them as ways to engage deeply with the land and, you know, foraging and growing food and hunting and raising meat animals. I think those actually all dovetail really nicely and are coming from a similar intention of, you know, keeping what feeds me close to my sphere and being really deeply connected to those things. I definitely have a strong goal to get back to that type of lifestyle. And right now I'm trying to focus on, because I have, you know, the show just came out, you know, a year ago. And so I have this brief window of heightened publicity while I'm more on folks' radars because of that. So I'm trying to really focus on Buckskin Revolution and work with what I was doing on the show, which was trying to inspire people to feel capable of this stuff themselves and now give them resources, give them places to go with that and skills to build. So one of my big projects has been an online skills gathering that I put out starting June 1st. And that takes people through, you know, a lot of deep background in ancestral and land-based living skills. So we have five different theme days from ancestral and bushcraft basics to plant themes and animal themes and handcraft themes, and then larger picture themes. Also, I'm working on a couple different books. My book on buck wow. and sewing is getting close to completion. It's been on the back burner though, because of the alone show and because of the skills gathering. But, you know, one of my focuses is not just trying to get people, you know, living from the wild, because I know that's not attainable to most people, but to have more of the things in our daily life be things that we have a connection to, be things that our hands actually help to build or that came from the environment right around us. So we feel empowered and we remember ourselves as part of a greater whole and know that we have the capacity to tend to more of our needs so that people have choice so that people don't feel mm -hmm. trapped in a system that doesn't work for them and leaves them feeling unfulfilled. So, you know, that can look a lot of different ways. And to me, having more skills in our hands, getting our bodies into the picture is an important part of that. So a lot of my YouTube videos, my writing, my classes, my skills gathering are about crafts that we can do that support us in our daily lives, be it food or shelter or clothing and containers. And that's why my, a lot of my work is working with animal hides. So tanning hides and making clothing because our clothing is this very, very visceral thing, right? It's on our skin, which is our largest sensory organ. We can see it in our visual field. We, in the case of buckskin, it's got a strong smoky smell so we can smell it. You know, it comes through so many of our senses and it serves as a reminder 
of where we come from as people and that we evolved to be deeply connected to the landscape around us. And to me, wearing buckskin clothing is kind of a reminder and a symbol of a commitment to living a life a little bit more connected and, and closer to the resources that support you. So that's, that's a amazing. lot of my focus with Buckskin Revolution and why I, why I named it after Buckskin. It's not just because it's an amazing material, which is also true, but it's what it represents and what it does for us physically, um, emotionally, spiritually, when we wear it and are around it. That's awesome. I, I, it's very honest too, because I think just so many people are disconnected and unable to actually understand what the cost is of their lifestyle, at least, you know, what if they're just eating meat all the time, and not paying attention to where it came from, you're hands on. So I mean, everybody who's with it is going to understand it and have a connection to it so much more readily. What about like people who are doing your program? Are they going to be handling skins? I mean, where are they going to? I mean, there are probably a lot of people who are not, I'm guessing, or who are just like in suburbia or in a city. Sure. Um, but they're still going to learn so much, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's available to anyone wherever they find themselves. And some people are just watching the videos and, you know, logging the information. And some people are getting themselves some of the materials. You know, it comes with a materials list. So I've had a lot of folks do some of the the plant things. There's a, the, the plant theme day. There's a lot of herbal medicine and that stuff that's more accessible to a lot of folks and that you can do mm-hmm. in your kitchen in the city as opposed to tanning hides is a little bit trickier for some folks. But yeah, there's folks everywhere along the spectrum in terms of how much they're diving in. I have one gentleman who's been tanning hides for a long time and he's going to go on and host some of the other students that he met through the gathering at a hide tanning weekend at his place come hunting season. So yeah, it's wow. across the board, but I've been so pleased at the degree to which people are taking it and running with it. We have a Facebook group and we have a group that's been hosting their own viewing parties for some of the classes and having regular Zoom calls without me. I mean, I'm available for Zoom calls with the gathering too, but we have students just taking it and running with it, which has been amazing and super gratifying. That's so cool. Yeah. So at this point, everything is online, you said, because because of the coronavirus and people can't get, gather together. Right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how long that is. But, you know, I thought that this gathering was going to be a one-time thing during corona shutdowns, but it's been so wonderful and gratifying and enriching for folks that it's definitely something I'm going to be continuing on. And I already was planning some online courses and you know, already have a YouTube channel. So that's a great yeah. plug into what I'm doing. And then also I have a Patreon membership. And that's a big part of my support for how I'm able to do my, my filming and get all of these classes out there and how I was able to do the gathering. So folks who are on my Patreon team are, are more connected to what I'm doing. They're getting regular updates on what's happening. They're getting exclusive videos. Um, they're getting some, you know, some tools for buckskin work and a lot more access to me and what I'm doing. So that's another great way for folks to access me and help support me being able to get more of these skills out there to more people. Um, I offer scholarships and discounted rates for indigenous and black people of color towards equity and social justice um, for people who are transgender. So everything I can do to make the skills more accessible to people who for various, you know, historic or socioeconomic reasons, have less access to the outdoors, less access to these skills. You know, that's my aim. I think that these skills and the ability to be connected is a fundamental human need. And I want to get it to as many people as I possibly can. That's so great. So all people have to do is look up Buckskin Revolution. They'll find you on YouTube. They'll find you on Patreon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wonia Buckskin Revolution on Patreon. I actually think that's a blessing that right now you're having to focus on online courses and getting it managed online because one day that's just going to be there and 
some people will prefer that or just simply be unable to go. For sure. Yeah. At first I was super disappointed. I was going to go to Europe for the first time. I had a bunch of teaching events scheduled in Europe. I was excited about, and I was like, Oh, this is such a bummer. And now I'm, I'm with you. Like, wow, I wouldn't have, you know, like I, as you can probably guess from who I am in my lifestyle, sitting behind a computer is one of my least favorite things and right. kind of have to be pushed to do it. So this gave me that nudge. And yeah, ultimately I'm grateful. And I feel like I'm having a much bigger impact through the teaching I'm doing online than I would have just teaching, you know, the handful of people per class that I could reach through the in-person gatherings. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to tell people or would like to tell people? Thanks. Yeah, I guess just that whoever you are, whatever your life circumstances, there's a way for you to learn more of these skills and feel more connected to the landscape around you and to your own deeper inner nature as a human who, you know, evolved this body and this, these senses in order to live wild on the landscape. Um, so that's still in you and you can still access that. And I encourage you to do so. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, best of luck with all of your endeavors. I'm really excited to see the future for you. Yeah, me too. It's an exciting time. Thanks for listening to the Get In My Garden podcast. You can reach out to me by email at aaron at getinmygarden.com or at getinmygarden on Instagram. Until next time.